This is Madeline Smith, and you are listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Rudyard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. Is he bold? No one braver. Is he sweet? Our favorite flavor. Can you count on obscure references from the second greatest animated movie of all time, Disney's Hercules? Yes, indeed. I know you're probably wondering a few things. First of all, why are we talking about mythology on a history podcast? And second of all, if Hercules is the second greatest animated movie of all time, what's number one? Well, I'll answer that for you really quick. It's The Prince of Egypt, if you haven't seen it yet. Look it up. DreamWorks, big fan. Moving on. But why are we talking about mythology? So, mythology is defined as a collection of myths belonging to a particular religious or cultural tradition. A myth is traditionally a story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involve supernatural beings or events. Basically, myths are how people viewed the world around them. To ancient people, the gods and the story were as real as science is to you and me today. Mythology is what ancient people believed was their history, and understanding how people viewed themselves can teach us a lot about the world that they lived in. For the next few episodes, we are going to be traveling back in time and space to ancient Greece to cover Greek mythology. And the reason we are going to do Greek mythology is because Roman mythology is mostly based on it anyways. And if you're a Roman historian, please don't come at me. We all know in the depth of our souls that that's true. You may be wondering why I have to clarify this if you aren't super familiar with mythology. And I hope you're ready to have your childhood ruined. Here we go. Hercules is the Roman equivalent of the Greek hero Heracles. If your only knowledge of Hercules is the Disney movie, then you're probably really confused and upset. I remember nine-year-old me was confused and upset too when I picked up my first Greek mythology book and I couldn't figure out who the heck this Heracles guy was. Then I got mad because I didn't understand marketing and I couldn't figure out why the people at Disney apparently did not do very thorough research when they were creating their movie. <laughs> Other reasons why we are going to be doing Greek mythology instead of Roman mythology? I like Greece. I've worked in Greece. It makes me happy. And frankly, I'm more familiar with their equivalent deities instead of the Roman ones. So that's what we're going to do. Also, huge disclaimer, I considered trying to say the correct Heracles every time, but I know that I'm going to slip. So I just wanted to put this up front before we get any further into it. We're talking about Hercules slash Heracles, and we're going to be covering Greek mythology. Excellent. All right. Being Greek in the ancient world did not mean living in the country, which is now known as modern day Greece. Actually, Hellas, if you ask them, Quick little tirade, I don't understand why we call countries names that they don't call themselves. I remember when I went to Greek, Greece for the first time, and I remember just being so confused about all of the Hellas merchandise that was around. And 
that's when I realized that we call countries by names that they don't call themselves. And this makes no sense. I had a very similar experience with the whole Deutschland German thing. I don't get it. This is definitely on my list of things I would change about the world. And maybe one day I'll also give you guys my treatise on the term lactose intolerance, but that's for another time. Back to the Greeks. Instead of living in one geographic area, the ancient Greeks shared a language, gods, food, among other things. So basically, it was a cultural group. And if you listened to last week's episode, you got a little bit more familiar with the definition of culture. So these ancient Greek people lived in city-states and settlements all across the Mediterranean, including in modern-day Spain, North Africa, Sicily, Southern Italy, Asia Minor, and the Aegean Islands. Greek people identified with where they were from, not their larger shared culture. This means that when people were talking about themselves, so let's say they were from Athens, they would have considered themselves Athenians, probably not Greeks. The earliest civilization that we would consider Greek is the Minoan civilization in Crete. They were around 2800 BC, and the ancient Greek civilization continued on until the defeat of the Macedonian King Perseus by the Romans in 163 BC. This is obviously a huge amount of time. I mean, we're talking about roughly 2,600 years. And to put that in perspective, 2,600 years ago, Nebuchadnezzar was building the hanging walls of Babylon from today in 2020. However, most of the things we associate with ancient Greek like Homer, the Persian Wars, that's the movie 300, Socrates, the Parthenon, and Alexander the Great all happened between 900 and 300 BC. This period of time can be broken down into early Greece, which is 900 BC to 490 BC, the classical period, 490 to 350 BC, and then we're just hitting the Hellenistic period, which is 350 to 150 BC. The ancient Greek language first appeared about 1100 BC, uh, and it was first written in 750 BC. Their written alphabet is actually super interesting. It has 40, 42, I'm dyslexic, so numbers are hard. Anyways, it has 24 letters when it comes, uh, and when it began, they actually, this is really cool, so they were influenced by the ancient Mesopotamian people, so they wrote right to left, like modern Arabic languages do. And then by the classical period, they had actually switched from left to right, the way that we in Western society are used to reading. Also, another fun fact about the ancient Greek alphabet. This is so fun. Uh, I, someone actually pointed this out to me. I think that things are fun that maybe not other people do. Interesting. It's interesting f slash fun. <laughs> depending on your definition. But one of the nicknames for Jesus Christ of the Christian uh, Christian religions is Alpha and Omega. And this actually came from the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet because that name is supposed to refer to the fact that Jesus is both the beginning and the end. I love linguistics. I'm sorry, I'm so excited. I really love linguistics. I wish I wasn't dyslexic or I would have totally probably studied that in school as well. When explaining things like why the sky is blue or 
why we're here. The ancient Greek people didn't solve it with science or rational thinking the way that we would today. Instead, what they did is they told these epic stories. These epic Greek myths covered stories of love, jealousy, heroism, and in short, the human experience, and explained the world around them. These myths dominated ancient Greek religious practices. They were used to decorate temples and buildings, and appeared in literature and poetry of the time, and honestly, of many ages that followed all the way up to today. Before 750 BC, in the convenience of writing, these myths were stories that were passed down by word of mouth from generation to generation. I think the idea of this is so romantic because every person that told that story left an imprint of themselves in it in some way making these stories really the result of a collective, or as I've, I've sometimes heard it said, a collective consciousness. Poets like Homer and Hesiod wrote them down in what is now known as epic cycles. These epic cycles are long stories about heroes' whole lifetimes as well as what happened to their families for generations after their supposed deaths. Um, also, quick note, the Greek people really believed that these heroes had existed. To them, heroes were real, gods were real, all of it had actually existed on the earth. And I think that that is really important to remember as well when thinking about the Greek people. Before these stories were written down, they were not, there was not really a way to keep these stories straight, <laughs> as it were. Um, as we discussed, the Greek people lived all over the ancient Mediterranean. Because of this, there are often several different versions of myths told about the Greek heroes. This makes trying to tell the stories a little bit confusing. Because of this, I have just decided to focus on the version of the story that I am most familiar with. Our story actually begins long before Hercules, many eons ago. To tell the story, we need to go back and take a look at the creation myths of ancient Greeks. Thanks, Hesiod. His Theogony, and Theogony just means the genealogy of a group or system of gods, is a great place to read mythology, and the passage I am going to be covering below is taken from the Theogony. Again, there are several versions of this story, but I like Hesiod. I am now going to prepare my dramatic quotation voice. Chaos was first of all, but next appeared broad-bosomed Gia, sure standing place for all. From chaos came Black Nyx and Airbus, and Nyx, in turn, gave birth to Hemera and Aether, whom she conceived and loved to Airbus. Not following? That's okay. What I think is really cool about the Greek creation myth is that things and even really abstract ideas are anthropomorphized and given genders. Let me read the same passage, but with the names of these deities that we would be familiar with today. Chaos was first of all, but next appeared broad-bosomed earth, sure standing place for all. From chaos came black night and darkness, and night in turn gave birth to day and upper sky, whom she conceived and loved to darkness. So basically, from chaos or nothing, as chaos is sometimes known, came earth. Chaos also gave rise to night and darkness. 
Night and darkness gave birth to many of the primordial deities, including day and upper sky. From chaos also came Eros, or love, and other elemental beings. Eventually, Earth gave birth to Uranus, or Uranus, and Uranus then fertilized Earth, and these children became known as the Titans. So the Titans, who are the bad guys along with Hades in the Hercules Disney movie, are you following? Uh-huh. Let's keep on going. So the Titans are not just a frozen um, mountain and a tornado. And what was the other one? The Cyclops? That's a whole different thing. But <laughs> the actual Titans were six male and six females. But the first among them, so like the head Titan guy, was Kronos. I have hilariously written, Kronos was not a nice guy. Kronos plotted with his mother, uh, Gia, the earth deity, and while his dad Uranus slept, he actually came and cut off his manhood, so to speak, and it fell into the ocean. What happens next, I'm just going to quote from Hesiod. Are you ready? Okay. White foam surrounded the immortal flesh, and in it grew a girl. And there the goddess came forth, lovely, much revered, and grass grew up beneath her delicate feet. Her name among men is Aphrodite. <laughs> uh, fun fact, several places claim to be the birthplace of Aphrodite, but one of them is the place that I did my first archeological work, and that place is Kythera, which is an island on the southeast coast of Greece. It's beautiful, but I just wanted to throw that fun fact in there. So after Kronos, uh, I so his motivations for doing that to his dad I think it's because he didn't want anyone else to be born that could usurp Kronos's power but again there's so many different versions of the story but after that whole thing Kronos married his sister Rhea and he was the ruler of the Titans perhaps due to some residual guilt over the whole castrating his father thing Every time his wife gave birth, he would take the child and eat it, eat the, eat the child. One day, Rhea had given birth. She swapped out her latest child, a boy named Zeus, for a rock wrapped in a blanket. Kronos, apparently not being able to tell the difference between a rock and a baby, just took the whatever it was wrapped in a blanket and ate it. She then gave Kronos a poison drink, she as in Gaia, and that caused him to vomit up all his other children. Zeus led his brothers and sisters in a war against the Titans and eventually won, sending the Titans to Tart Tartarus, which is the empty chasm beneath the earth. Zeus and his siblings were now the rulers and set up shop on Mount Olympus. The Greeks believed that the creation story had happened a really, really long time ago. Since then, several ages had passed. The age that we are going to care about and spend most of our time in is the age of heroes. This was an age where the Olympic gods and their offspring were very much interacting with mortals on a more regular basis. The Greeks believed that them at that time were in what they believed as the Iron Age, the age directly after the age of heroes. Not the Iron Age that we think of, but their own Iron Age. The ancient Greeks believed that there had been vast periods of history before them, 
which seems a little crazy from our perspective, but then when you think about how long humans have been around and how long we think of as history, you begin to see why. After the war with the Titans, other than hanging out on Mount Olympus, which is actually a place in northern Greece that you can go see, the gods pretty much acted like how I imagine people with unlimited resources and no moral compasses would act. They were cruel, childish, and committed adultery, rape, and even murder. They were able to resist wounding and disease, you know, because of the whole immortal part, and they were able to transform into animals, showers of gold, and impersonate people and fly. Not like ancient alien flying, come on people, but fly. They also had no concept of sin or wickedness in the way that we do. Their idea of moral right and wrong didn't come from religion the way that it does in Western culture today. It actually came from societal and legal pressure, which I think is very interesting. The Greek gods did kind of have day jobs. Think of this as someone whose dad owns a company and so they show up from 10 to 2, you know, Tuesday through Thursday, and then in their free time, who knows what they're doing, you know, like that kind of job. <laughs> That's what the Greek pantheon was up to. So for instance, Poseidon oversaw the sea, Hades controlled the underworld, and Zeus had all that stuff going on with lightning. Now it's time to introduce you to the pantheon of Olympic gods. The Greeks had gods for just about everything. The muses represented artistic things like poetry, history, and dancing. The fates determined, you guessed it, fate. The Greeks had gods for harvest, childbirth, birth, travelers, just about anything. The closest comparison I can think of today is saints in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not quite the same thing because Catholics do not believe that saints are gods in their own right, but it's similar in the sense that you have a particular person that you pray for, for a particular problem. The majority of the gods, like the titans that came before them, were related to each other. So telling their story is like looking at a really, really dysfunctional family. Let's meet the big guy. We first met Zeus a few moments ago when his dad couldn't tell the difference between him and a rock, but Zeus went on, on to be the king of the Olympic gods. When Zeus won the war against the Titans, he was made the god of basically everything, or you know, the supreme being, if you will. Zeus mainly shows up in epics, sleeping with mortar, mortals, whether they knew it or not, and many of the heroes of Greek mythology are the, are the result of these relationships. Zeus regularly changed himself into things to trick women into sleeping with him, like a swan, a bull, or even a shower of gold, as I kind of mentioned previously. Next is Zeus's brother, Poseidon, not just Percy Jackson's dad. Side note, if you have not read the Lightning Thief books, I need you to read them. You are really missing out, and I have to insist that you go read them immediately, but for goodness sake, do not watch the movie. I mean it. Just skip it. I promise, just read the book. There might even be an audio tape, I'm sure, but please, please do not see the movie. Anyways... Poseidon was the god of the sea, I think most of us knew that, but he was also the god of the earth, I bet you didn't know that. That meant that earthquakes were his fault, and there were quite 
quite a bit of earthquakes. There's a lot of seismic activity and volcanic activity happening in this region, so he was really important to the Greek people. He's also the god of horses, so that's fun. The last of the three brothers that make up the big three that we think of is Hades. He oversaw the underworld. I feel bad that he gets such a bad rap because honestly, when you stack him up against everybody else, he's really not that bad. But the big thing that he's known for in mythology is his wife Persephone spends six months in the underworld with him and then spends the other six months up with her father Zeus which is the reason that the Greek people believed that they had seasons, which I think that that's very fun. The next person we are going to talk about is Hera. So Hera was the sister of the brothers that we have above. I feel bad for her in the sense that I feel bad for my brother because my brother is the odd man out with me and my two sisters. So I, I have... <laughs> A little bit of a soft spot for Hera. But she is, again, the sister of our brothers above, but also the wife of Zeus. I guess incest doesn't count if you're immortal. Hera is the goddess of marriage, and this makes all of Zeus's half-human children running around Earth a big sticking point for her. She's often portrayed as taking her anger out at Zeus, on his mortal lovers and children because the phrase the sins of the father should not affect the child is apparently one she was not familiar with. Because of this, often, often in epic tales, she is seen doing really cruel things to mortals. Hera and Zeus also had a number of children who we will get to momentarily. We already briefly met Aphrodite, but she was the goddess of beauty, attraction, and sexual love which is very different than marriage, according to the ancient Greeks. Aphrodite was married to a god named Amphitryus, and he was the god of the forge, but he doesn't come up very much. He spends a lot of time in his forge. Ares was the son of Zeus and Hera, and he was the god of war. He also enjoyed fear, chaos, and the most destructive of mortal actions were attributed to him. He was also the lover of Aphrodite because she didn't like the forge guy very much. These two together was actually a nightmare. Next is Athena. She was the daughter of Zeus and was the patron of battle, but not in the war sense that Ares was, but more in the planning, rational way. And she was also the goddess of intelligence. She is closely associated with an owl and obviously is the go patron goddess of Athens, which is a beautiful city. You should definitely go see it sometime if you can. The Parthenon, which sits on top of the Acropolis, you know, that, that thing that everyone thinks of when they think of Greece, that is literally in the middle of Athens, and it's the most beautiful historical site that I have ever seen. Apollo and Artemis were twins born to Zeus and one of the Titans. Apollo was the god of prophecy and the sun, and he was also held up as what the male ideal was. He was very beautiful, very handsome, all of that stuff. Artemis was the goddess of hunting and childbirth and is often portrayed as wandering through the wilderness hunting and she's more associated with the nighttime as well. Finally, the last of the gods that I'm going to highlight is Dionys Dionysus, or as I like to think of him, the patron saint of college students and women who watch The Bachelorette. 
Dionysus was the son of Zeus and the god of wine and intoxication. If drinking and revelry are your pastimes, then you are definitely going to want to link up with Dionysus in the countryside. He would be just the party guy for you. I know that while we explained some pretty fun personalities above, the Greek gods were also known for extreme acts of cruelty and violence. They seem pretty unconcerned with the suffering of mere mortals and often act in ways that leave a lot of grief and destruction left in their wake on Earth. On that pleasant note, we are going to leave off here. Next time, we will pick up with the beginnings of Heracles slash Hercules' epic adventure. Thank you so much for listening. Bye!